welcome along to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nicholl. And today on the show, we're talking about the new Residential Tenancies Act. These are changes that have been proposed. And you will have recalled that we talked about these probably about three months ago with Serena Gibbon from the Auckland Property Investors Association. Now, at that time, this bill had just been introduced. And Andrew's going to talk about what has been changed within the select committee process and what's happening from here. And we will talk about this. But this has come from a listener of the show, Patty, who said, hey, look, I've seen another article about the new Residential Tenancies Act. What's the story here? So, Andrew, walk us through the history of this, the process up to now and where we stand before I get into the technical nitty gritty. Essentially, there's a proposal. So there's a bill put forward by Parliament, which has gone through a select committee hearing now where they're actually looking at all the submissions that have been put forward by anyone who is potentially affected by this bill and the bill. And they're trying to flesh out what works, what doesn't work, poke any holes in it before it goes for a reread. And that this process is going to take some time, but it is happening. So uh, I think we think it's really important just to keep abreast of this at all times. I think we said to listeners at the time, it's really important if you're affected to make a submission. I think we did ourselves, uh, certainly Auckland Property Investors Association did, and, and a lot of property managers, etc. And so yeah, there, there have been some adjustments, which make it slightly more palatable. I wouldn't say it's completely palatable yet, but it's going to go through them now. If I'm just going to summarise it before we go through, there are some technical changes that make it slightly more palatable for property investors, though I would argue that the technical changes that have made it more palatable are very minor compared to the changes that have been made that make it severely unpalatable toward property investors in the community. And look, the main change, and I'll speak I'll speak to some of the technical side before we get into, into the main changes, but remember the main change here is that there will no longer be no cause uh, 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 Terminations. That's correct. Sorry. <laughs> there, there will no longer be 90 day uh, no cause terminations of a tenancy where you could just say, look, I'm going to uh, evict my tenant. I'm giving them 90 days to notice and they've got to get out. And that would usually be in the instance where there's something a bit amiss with your with your tenant. You can't really prove it. So you give a no cause termination for, for whatever reason, uh, because they've been a bit antisocial, because of they've been hard to really, really, really significantly hard to deal with, whatever it happens to be. So that's the, that's the main change. There are also other changes like you can no longer increase the rent every six months. It's now going to be every 12 months. There's no rental bidding. You can't say the property's 500, but we, we accept people bidding up the price and saying, actually, I'm going to pay 520 a week instead. But I, I, w- I just want to talk about the select committee process, which is where they have heard submissions and will make technical changes to the bill. And one example of that, just to get really technical for a minute, is in regards to weather tightness and fibre connections to the to the building. So under the new legislation, landlords will not be able to prohibit tenants from requesting a fibre connection to the building. Previously, because you've got to dig up the driveway and severely change the, the property, dig some stuff up in order to be able to lay the fibre connection to, to the house, landlords would be able to say no to that. Is the landlord expected to pay for that? Well, I would assume that it would be the landlord but I don't know in this case actually. But there are now some exceptions to that. So for instance, if uh, laying a fibre connection, obviously that's going to have to penetrate the house. And so there is an exemption for weather tightness of a building. So if if for whatever reason, laying this fibre cable is going to affect the weather tightness of the building, there's an exemption for that. If it's going to comprise the character of a building or if a heat pump is going to compromise that character of a building, and of course that's not defined, 
mind because politicians don't like to define things. So if it's going to materially impact the building, which is the wording, then there is an exemption for that. So some very small exemptions. Those are the wins for property investors. But there are some severe negative impacts within these. And I, I will just go through those as well. The first that's really interesting to note is that with those 90 day no cause terminations, under the current bill that was being proposed, so before it went through to select committee, a landlord would need to give three instances, three written warnings to the tenant of antisocial behaviour before you could evict them. So three written instances in a 90 day period. So that's, that's a pretty tall ask anyway. And then once it went to the tenancy tribunal, it was on the tenant to have to show that they weren't antisocial. So the onus or the burden of proof was on the tenant. Now the select committee has changed it. So the burden of proof, and it, it kind of makes sense, but it's not great for landlords. The burden of proof is now on the landlord. They have to prove that there was antisocial behaviour. And look, from a theoretical point of view, you might say, well, that makes sense, you know. Shouldn't the landlord have to prove that? But if you think about what antisocial behaviour is, there's such grey area within there. Like, were they too loud? Was their music too loud? Were they smoking? Were they doing illicit substances out the back while there were children <laughs> running around? Like, I don't know. But you've got to you've got to figure out well. What is that burden of proof? And who's giving that proof? Because of course, for you as a landlord, it's probably not you, it's the neighbours. And I remember Serena on the show, and I just want to reiterate it rather than sending you straight back to that episode, because it's really important. If the neighbours are going to have to live live next to that tenant, if this eviction notice is not successful, then they are likely to be a bit iffy about dobbing in their neighbours, even if they're being really antisocial. Look, it's probably more likely that your neighbours are actually just going to move somewhere else because of the tenants you've got in there. So it's going to be really difficult to handle antisocial tenants, which is is the biggest concern in here. The other thing that I just want to mention is that, and this is actually quite good for landlords, is that under the prior bill, there would have been, and actually there still are, tighter regulations, or I should rather say bigger fines for landlords with six or more properties. So if you have six or more properties, your class is as a bigger landlord, and if you fail on these regulations, you are going to be charged more heavily. Now, under the previous bill, they had written that you are considered to be one of these bigger landlords, so six or more, if you have a property or your parents have some investment properties or your children have investment properties or your partner has investment properties or your partner's children have investment properties or your partner's parents have investment properties and they all collectively add up to six or more properties. So quite ridiculous. If you've got two properties, your parents have two and your partner's parents have two as well, you all collect- You were all collectively lumped in together and you could be hit with these larger fines because the, the, the instance that the government was attempting to protect against was a landlord who's structuring their properties in this way to get around the regulations. Now, quite ridiculous in this situation. And so what they've done is they've said, actually, we're just going to say it's between you and your partner, which makes a whole heap more sense for landlords because people who are are trying to follow the law would be treated as really large landlords in that instance, even though you've got two, you know, maybe your parents have some, your your children have two, your partner who who has some children with another partner now has two. It, it, It was just totally ridiculous. And it's good that that's been remedied, but that's only a very small part of that's good compared to uh, a whole heap of what I would say is is quite negative for landlords. 
The other thing I just want to mention is that throughout this select committee response for the bill, they talk a lot about making sure that properties aren't being vacant. So there still is, you're able to terminate it if your employees want to move in, as long as you'd stipulated that in the contract, or you're able to do that if your family members want to move in. You can you can terminate a tenancy if you're going to demolish it or if you're going to do significant renovations to the property. But what they've put in is you have to start those renovations or your family has to move in or your employees have to move in within 90 days of the termination, of the final termination that you initially wrote to the tenant. And that's to prevent against, and they say this again and again and again in the response, properties being vacant because they assume that there's a housing shortage and they're trying to guard against this. And actually, this is an interesting point that Ed and I discussed off here. So every time I read something like this, it's frustrating. For me as an investor, it's frustrating. For me, coaching people on how to invest in property is frustrating because I feel like a lot of the law that comes out to help tenants actually doesn't so much do that because I deal with so many decent property investors who aren't trying to do anything dubious. Uh, They're not trying to rip off a tenant. They're actually just doing the right thing for their own retirement. And as a result, there will be people who are considering investing in property right now who don't have a property partner who are just reading the news and thinking, Jesus sounds a bit hard, and they won't invest in property. And as a result, we have fewer investment properties on the market. And then you've got other investors who think this is just too hard and they sell their rental properties uh, because, you know, say things like ring fencing came in and they decided, hey, look, we're not getting that tax benefit anymore. It's too expensive to hold on to. They're the people that lose out. And they sell the property and all of a sudden there are fewer properties in the market, the rent gets put up, as, as we were talking about the rent bidding uh, before, I mean, we don't see the rent bidding, we don't we don't endorse that at our company, we don't endorse that in our property management company, but I know in places like Wellington, that goes on, places like Queenstown, that used to go on. We don't see that, but f- because now this law is changing for everyone, you're going to have people who maybe think, oh, well, you know, maybe I need to increase the rent over the next 12 months, so they're going to seek a higher rent today. They're going to try and get a higher amount, get every last dollar out of it now, knowing that they can't put it up in six months time if the market has increased. And so again, I think that the people that they're trying to help end up being disadvantaged as well. And I do just want to talk about rent bidding since you've brought it up, Andrew. So I don't believe that rent bidding is actually that much of an evil in all situations. And I'll give you an example. So uh, I'm currently looking for an apartment in central Auckland to rent while I've got properties elsewhere. And while I'm looking at specific properties that I'm like, I really like that because that's different, I'm willing to talk to the property manager and say, hey, I'll give you an extra 10 or $20 a week in order to be able to secure this apartment because I really like this specific one and I want to to make sure that I'm able to secure it. And if it takes an extra $10 a week or $20 a week, I'm willing to pay that cost in order to be able to get that. Now, I understand that that is quite a different situation from people in quite vulnerable positions, which this bill is really trying to get across, but it doesn't necessarily mean that rent bidding is always a bad thing. Now, I just want to talk briefly before we wrap up about select committee process, because this is really interesting. So on the select committee, there were a total of eight people, three from Labour, three from National, one from New Zealand First and one from Greens. So the coalition government had five seats on the select committee. National, the minority opposition, only had three seats on the select committee. And so what's interesting is that this whole response to the bill from the select committee can say, this is the majority view 
of the Select Committee, right, which is about 13 odd pages long. And they can recommend all of these as the majority view of the Select Committee. And from this response, the National Party has a one page in order to state their minority view. And I think this is quite interesting where they talk about, look, we think, first of all, we think that 90 day periods of having three separate notices within a 90 day period, we think that's too much. We think that burden of proof is too high and that we're going to have negative consequences. And they also talk about some of the arguments Andrew's just made. But I think what's quite interesting, and I'm not sure whether this is true or not, but I think it's an interesting argument, which is that they're saying, look, if we remove rent bidding, in some instances, what we're going to have is instead of starting at a lower price and allowing tenants to bid it up, we're going to have landlords set rent prices relatively higher and then if they can't rent it, they'll bring the price down. So maybe we'll put put out an apartment at $550 a week. Nobody buys, bring it down by $10. Nobody buys, bring it down by $10. So in effect, you're trying to get the largest bidder by a different way. Now, in economics, instead of a standard auction like we have in New Zealand, we call this a Dutch auction. And a Dutch auction is where you start that price really high and you bring it down until somebody bites and that's the price. And so it's just a different way of doing it. It's it's potentially bidding by a different uh, by a different mechanism and a different name, which we potentially might see. Now, I hope this isn't too, too scary and we are going to wrap it up there. So please don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. Uh, of course, that does help us get the message out to more people. Though if you do want to listen or learn more about property with Andrew and I, then check out our No Money Worries email course. This is where we've collated our top nine lessons in property investment for you to learn. And we've actually set you a bit of homework so you can check that you, what you've learned and, and think about how am I going to invest in a different way. Now, I'm going to drop a link to that into the show notes or you can also go to opuspartners.co.nz slash no money worries. Thanks for listening to the Property Academy podcast. I'm your host, Ed McKnight. And I'm Andrew Nichols. And we're going to be back again tomorrow with even more daily strategies, tactics and insights to help you get the most out of the use of the property market. Until next time.